Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome you on behalf of Tafelberg and NB Publishers to this morning's discussion um, of, uh, between Bill Nassen and Johan Mayberg of Bill's latest book, World War I and the People of South Africa. Before I hand over to them, I'm going to just say a few words about Bill. Um, not that I think that he needs introduction from this audience, but just to do things properly. Bill is one of South Africa's leading historians. At the moment, he is Distinguished Professor of History at the University of Stellenbosch. He studied at the Universities of Hull and York in Britain. He has a PhD from Cambridge University, and he was at the University of Cape Town for 20 years, um, where he was head of the Department of History. He has held visiting fellowships at a number of uh, distinguished universities, University of Cambridge, the Australian National University, Yale, University of Illinois, the University of Kent, and Trinity College in Dublin. Bill specializes in the history of war, but he writes also about a variety of other subjects, um, including education, politics, and oral history. His book, The War for South Africa, which was published in 2010, was shortlisted for the Alan Payton Fiction, Non-Fiction Award, sorry, and won the Rachtmalan no, Prize. Good, good, yeah. <laughs> last year, he, last year, he and co-author Albert Grinling also won uh, the Keitnet Report Award for the for non-fiction um, with the War at Home, which was also published in Afrikaans as the Oerlochbereis. Okay, and Bill will be in discussion with Johan Meuberg of Radio Helderberg, and we look forward to, to listening to you, and thank you both for being here. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, I was asked the other day if I could invite five people to a dinner party who I'll invite, and one of the people were Professor Bill Nassen. I thought that would be very interesting. Um, there's a difference between um, the World War that you, World War One, that you explained to us um, what we know and what you give us, Prof. And the thing is, what you do, you actually start before 1914. I think what's going to be interesting for us to just set the scene in South Africa before the First World War in South Africa. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Um I mean, I think the first thing, the thing to say really is that South Africa is quite a lot like a lot of other countries. I mean, in, in many ways it's different, but it's a lot like um, Australia and New Zealand and Ireland and Britain itself. As a kom gemors wat aangaan, 1913, I mean, there are strikes, there are mass demonstrations. The world is going through this... Um, this period of unrest, and there's this wonderful, the wonderful dates a dachter. What is it? Otto Dix of Swer, and I describe here. The world needs a big enema. This was a drug worker, and something has to happen. So South Africa is convulsed by by strikes. There's Gandhi's uh, campaign against discrimination against Indians. White railway workers, um, white uh, mine workers are on strike, and what's a Yanis Mats for the Urloch? You know, there's a great vraag for Yiri Lang. There's net in problem. That is um, the ignorant natives and the ignorant Dutch. In other words, the ignorant Arme Blancas. And the country's problem just before the war, this is very familiar, Dunkterich and Marikana, as Altaid Fremde agents in Ireland. 
So the problem in South Africa are British trade unionists and Australian trade unionists who are here in 1912, 1913, 1914, and Smuts, of course, deports them because that, that is the solution to the problems in, in South Africa. That's a kind of domestic situation and then regionally does um, because there are concerns about uh, German expansion and, um, and the sea routes and um, the need to protect the security of, um, of the new union. So there's a kind of, you know, there's a lot going on before war actually breaks out. And then the war happens. And what you do with the book is you explain to us before 1914, and I think it's very important to remember, because this is kind of like a new angle to it, then the war happens. Mm. And there's confusion before 1914. Now it's war in South Africa. So there's a little bit of chaos happening mm, politically yeah. in South Africa. Yeah, I mean, what's the general? Forget It's Amazing book. They say yes. I mean, we are ready to mobilize. We are ready to go out and fight. But who? Who are we going to? Who are we meant to fight? The British or the Germans? And that's a bit like you know, British soldiers who cross the Channel in 1914, and they go to France. And what don't call a visi feyande? Is he bloody France? That's a great skok. And that's not the expectation of hundreds of British soldiers. They go to France thinking, you know, the traditional enemy is the French. And South Africa, I mean, magnifies all of those, you know, because for many people, as we know, for nationalists, um, the, the, the enemy is not, is not Germany, it's, it's the British, it's England. Mm. What is the connection with the Afrikaner and the German? Have you ever sorted that out? Well, that's a kind of old thing. I mean, it's uh, all kinds of, you know, social and ethnic, whatever, links. And then, you know, when you forget funny, Kaiser's a telegram. Jameson raid and the famous telegram from the, from the Kaiser expressing support for um, the rights of the Boer republics, the rights to freedom and liberty and self determination. So there's an old thing. So the Germans, the Germans have an old kind of, um, have a well-established links with, with um, the Boer Republics. And if you think of the, you know, played Afrikaans, Anglo-Boer-Urloch, I mean, one of the things the British were very worried about was the increasing investment, um, German interest, German investment in the Transvaal, uh, in helping to establish a national bank and establishing uh, the harbor facilities at Dalagoa Bay, so that the Zaid Afrikaans Republic kind of became unafhankelijk wees. And so the British were worried about, about those old links, which of course continue, and, and you get all this, I mean, I didn't talk about this in the book, but there's, um, there are German novels written in 1900 um, about South Africa being a sachte plek. As the oorlog kom, is it a sachte plek. And these are novels about German agents coming in and subverting, and Smuts makes a big deal about this, which is when war breaks out. I mean, it's a difficult thing in Parliament, you know. There's no consensus. And then what happens? You know, we want to date us all data, and um, they cross the border with a moose klomp beer and so, and they camp a little bit on a mountain, and vakansi, um, vakansi take. And Boerte stand up in Parliament and said, yeah, 
hier kom die Duitse, ons moet nou begin baklei. Uh, also the scary thing about South Africa, somebody, one, one of the politicians uh, did say, if only South Africa could be like New Zealand. Mm. I mean, easy. Mm. So we know which side they're going to take, but it's not the case here with oh, yeah. us. I mean, New Zealand is a, you know, never mind rugby. <laughs> um, but New Zealand is a perfect place. It's completely pro-British. I mean, it's more royalist than, than, than parts of Britain. So is Australia, but Australia is a big, you know, it's a big mirror because they can't. There's a conscription issue in Australia, so Australia doesn't have conscription, and South Africa, as we know, doesn't have conscription. There's no mass conscription here. Everybody who goes to the war, I mean, even black and coloured volunteers. I mean, there's a big chicanery and cajoling among chiefs and magistrates, but generally, everybody here is a volunteer. It's this yokeyasa. It's very interesting. South Africa is, a, you know, an interesting example. There, are, there is no conscription. There's no mass conscription, and so you don't get the kind of anti-conscription rebellions you get in other uh, colonial mm. territories in West Africa and uh, and North Africa. Uh, Prof, how on earth did we overcome the divisions we had in South Africa to be to have these First World War? Because, I mean, complications all the way. It must have been extremely complicated for politicians between 1914 and 18, just to keep us intact. Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting issue. If you think of the invasion of German Southwest, which was invaded for a whole range of reasons. But one of the, one of the reasons why um, the British Governor General here, Buxton, was very keen on that, and he was very keen on East Africa, because that is a way to unite the white population, Anglo-Africana, Samkom. Once you conquer another territory, there'll be a groot, you know, opvloeding van national feeling and unity and patriotism, and that's a way to paper over the political divisions within mm -hmm. the country, within Parliament, and and more widely. But it worked, because we know, you know, if we look at the at the election of 1915 and so on, it's um, and smart as I mean, they are wounded. They're not. They're not dead, but they, 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 their fortunes are, are declined. The fortunes declined because of the war. Um, and it said that we're going to ask the question during the time of I can, I know, the top of work, and as many people want to hear, so we're going to give the time for The other thing that for me is still interesting is is the Afrikaner in this period. I mean, ons was the rarig, the moeilijkheid makers van die wereld, als ik het zo kan stellen, oh natuurlijk op een klein skaal, maar ik meen dat bij ons voorbeelden gevolg en die kom, als het komt bij opstanden, uh, protesten, um, so it, it seems as if it's kind of like a South African thing, this whole protest, which was started by the Afrikanen. You mean the... Well, the protest, the protest. And, and, you know, well, anti-government and, and, and... Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if it, I don't know, there is a kind of thing about South Africa that I sometimes think about it now, as an historian, I mean, is South Africa really governable? <laughs> In, I mean, you know, that's a frach. I mean, the previous, the previous nationalists discovered that to their cost. By the time you get to the 1980s, South Africa is not governable. And the new set of nationalists we have now, oh, I think discovering some of the same things. So I think it's like a serious, it is for me a serious question. Is South Africa really governable? And mensa is moeilijk in hierdie plek. That's what it is. You know, I think that there's a very 
strong um, and, you know, uh, it's a new world society and it comes out of a particular kind of colonial past. But I think it's very, it's very interesting, actually. I mean, so, for example, if you take, you know, so what happens? So the, the, the Germans are rounded up, German civilians, and treated as enemy aliens and uh, confined in what effectively are kind of concentration camps. I mean, there's one in Peter Maritzburg and then there's one in... Um, uh, which is the Rand Showgrounds in, in Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. And so anybody with a kind of German-sounding name, I mean, possibly my esteemed colleague, Professor Grunling, was, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but in fact, what happens is that when you go into small rural towns and there are Germans living there amongst Afrikaner people, it's moeilijk for smuts because they, they are being protected by people they consider to be, to, you know, with whom they feel they have some bond. So at every level, as moeilijk, it's difficult mm -hmm. here, actually. The yeah. uniqueness of your book is that you've described for us what happened before 1914. Then it's the four-year First World War. Um, yeah. but then six months of First World War, what four years. Yeah, and then we come to 1918, um, wat die einde van die oorlog internationaal beteken, maar dan is daar een complicatie weer eens in Zuid-Afrika oor um, die oorwinning of nie oorwinning en wat dan gebeur. Could you just explain to us, because in your book you go from eight, 1918 onwards, explaining and then it becomes an international issue. Ja, yeah, um, I mean, this is the, I mean, one part of this is about um, the achievements of of Greater South Africa, and particularly, I mean, Slim Yanni is the key figure in all of this. Because if you take Fatna di Oorlog and Slim Yanni, and Slim Yanni was not a good general in West Africa. Geen kos for the troopies, and Kerspeers Dag 1917 does nux. And it was by a face. It's And so Slim Yanni. You know, you know, I think, yeah, if you think of the First World War in generals, the generals are all seen as useless, yeah? but mm, by the mm. time you get to 1918, wie Field Marshal Haig, the greatest Scottish general in history because he killed most Englishmen. <laughs> but, and Yanis Smuts's work kind of, you know, he's kind of useless in East Africa, but what happens after 1918, he becomes a great imperial, imperial statesman, and he spends, you know, goes... You know, spends his time drinking tea with the Queen and going to London, and he's a great hero in London. And the and the the, the kind of slechter generalskap kind of disappears for for Yanni. And then, of course, South Africa. And of course, part of it is you know part of this great um, this great push. You know, the annex what amounts to the annexation of um, Said Ves and the failed attempt to take uh, uh, East West Africa, Deutsch Ost Africa. I mean, that, that fails, but what Smuts and Boerter do by 1918 is that they do establish South Africa as a significant country in the on the international stage. And I mean, you know, Smuts and the mandate system, and they, um, they, they establish a South African presence on the Western Front in France, you know, don't know on Delver Wood and so mm -hmm. So in fact they kind of export South Africa to other parts of, of the world. And it was a Bible project for 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 Dari Twee. Also nooit um, situatie rechtig um, erken in Urkom 
van die hele um, historie van Britannia in Duitsland voor ons als mensen van Zuid-Afrika. Het is altijd een conflict geweest, nee, tussen die, die wat er kan staan, je is je links of je ja. rechts. <laughs> nee, het is niet altijd die historie, nee. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's fascinating actually. I mean, if you, there were German politicians and German academics who were going to Cambridge and Oxford up to the early months of 1914 to get honorary doctorates. There were German musicians. Um, I mean, you get yellow from the Christmas truce. You know that, that famous, there's that famous moment in, um, in Christmas 1914, before, yeah, playing football. You know, for all slachterij. Okay, as now, vroeg in the oorlog, as for the slachterij, for the som, and as kerstfeers, and as a big coat, and men stand up and sing, and the Germans start singing um, Heilige Nacht, and the British soldiers sing Good King Wenceslas, and then the German soldiers sing Good King Wenceslas. And what was that about? A lot of the German soldiers had been to Britain and had gone back when the war started, and they'd had a gap year. They were working as restaurants, as, as waiters in restaurants, and cutting hair and au pairs and so on. And so they were very familiar with English and the English were less familiar with the Germans, but there wasn't that, can you see, it, what they, it wasn't traditionally, I mean the traditional enemy of the British were always, always, always the French, mm. not, not the Germans. So there's this long kind of, you know, Anglo-German or Deitzer what Engels could can. It's, it's not always the other ones. We had Engelsprekenters are, are famously in Talach. <laughs> we try our best. Um, but it's, it's interesting that it's not, it's not, yeah, I mean, it's something that starts up metadata fluid. I mean, once the Germans start expanding the Navy and that gets underway and you get the whole naval race in the early 1900, then that starts the antagonism. Once the British feel you know, that the Germans are going to be a threat to the empire around the world and that the Germans will change the balance of power in Europe by turning mm. what Germany traditionally likes to do, to, by turning Russia into Germany and France into Germany and Belgium into Germany. And it's a good crock for the Britain. But it's not inevitable or automatic. It's like something that's, you know, as a Kaiser. I owe. Prof, explain to us um, 1918 and what happens internationally after the war. Well, what, hap what happens internationally? I mean, what happens, yeah, I mean, what happens in this country? I mean, in some ways you could say, you know, on city to know. And there's not a big thing about the First World War in South Africa. I mean, if you compare this with what's going on around other parts of the world, and it's, and it's an interesting question. And for me, as I'm here, as an answer. They kind of polit political answer here. South Africa was divided, and so the legacy of the war was a little bit divided, and so that is why we're not taking part in lots of commemorate commemorative activities like Australia or New Zealand or South Africa. I'll get back to 1918 mm -hmm. in a minute. And the you know, the two answer is they can say, the but you could say, what was the story of the world for South Africa? Moose groot oorlog 
niet te veel mensen doet niet. So this is a kind of menselijke antwoord. I mean, South Africa, I've got the figure in the book, the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, there's about 10,000 people who, who die as a direct consequence of, of the war. And if you compare that with other societies, you know, it's, compare it with, take a country like Serbia. Serbia, 70% of Serbian men between the ages of 16 and 40 were killed. Mm. 70%. Unbelievable, actually. So this country never had, you know what I mean, never had that kind of, the impact of death. And the other thing is, here plek mensen het van oorlog geken. I mean, there was a big war here, 12 years, end of 12 years before um, the First World War comes. And you get that sense from, particular, I mean, obviously, particularly from, Afrikaners, ons weet van oorlog, ons wil nie nog een oorlog hee, wat erger is as hierheen. And so there's a very strong, I think there's a kind of, almost a recoil actually, or, or a kind of, you know, like a repulsion really. Um, and, and of course South Africa kind of escapes it in a way. I mean, that's the interesting, interesting thing. I mean, you know, what was it? The Spanish flu is kills people here. It's nie die oorlog nie. I'm very proud now of the flu. 360,000 people in three months of so in 1980. And the whole First World War, 10,000 So the war here is the flu. It's a war. It's a And, you know, and the the flu is linked to the war, so it's kind of, yeah. And there's also no clarity yeah, about Okay, uh, I didn't uh, get on to Britain. 1918, uh, okay. <laughs> no, no, it's fine, <laughs> we'll get back, yeah. yeah. Uh, no clarity about Britain at this stage, because after 1918, we were still divided when it comes to Britain, but not only here, also oh, internationally. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that, that, um, that the divisions over the nature of South Africa's relationship with Britain, I mean, it's complicated, but, but of course it's, it's divided. I mean, you know, um, Smuts and um, people like um, Denise Reitz, um, I mean, there's no ambiguity or uncertainty about that. So it's a kind of, you know, I think it's not kind of one thing or the other. It's like a complicated, um, complicated, I mean, what is the right, Rates right about the Africana rebelli. I mean, what does he say mm -hmm. in um, trekking on? You know, and he says, what is the rebelli? The rebelli is not any Brittany, whatever. The rebelli is is ten um, the um, reik Afrikaners or the reik boeren here, mensen wat tevreden is met die leven. And so that's what he says. You know, the rebellion is not a kind of nationalist or republican rebellion. It's almost a kind of rebellion of. Um, as Albert Grinling and, and Sandra Spott have written, a kind of desperate, radeloos rebellion of people who are discontent and chafing and hurtful with, with their lot. Yeah. When you as a historian look back at World War I in, and, and what has happened in the world, um, what, 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 what do you see? World War I, what did it do for us um, in, in the world? Well, <laughs> yes. when it comes it's to power, especially um, with power, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are all, kind, yeah, all kinds of things about 
I mean, all kinds of things about um, what can I guess no much van die eerste wereldoorlog in some ways. Niet van dag niet, maar you know. Ik is blij die tweede wereldoorlog zijn tien is al lang dood wees. So this, ja. Ja, I mean, what is I mean, what is the first war given us? Don't know. Camembert cheese and die stuckies, die triangular stuckies. That was to fit into the um, backpacks of French soldiers. Where did we look? Well, some moose clump cheddar cheese slabs of camembert. And if you think of your restaurants and aeroplanes, you're going to little you little sugar in these little suckies, you know, clean sugary shortage of sugar, you ration sugar, and it's good for manufacturers because it's cheap, so you keep it. Trench coats, or luisies, allai good. It's the first world war. a kind of, you know, gewone menselijke thing. Um, the um, Winnie Mandela and in the trenches in the 1980s. Um, Malema likes to talk about the trenches. Is it neat? Is it neat? Swirny. If you say you're going over the top, or don't go over the top, waar komt dit? Is die eerste wereldoorlog? Is allai trench goed? So I think, so at one level there's all that. At the other level you could say, you know, it has shaped the modern world. I mean, before the first world oorlog, People did not have passports. If you wanted to go to a country, you didn't need a passport. You didn't need identity documents. Klim op a skip, sit die goud in jou sak, get off at the other end, because it's the gold standard, gaan bank to and said, waar is die papier vir my goud? That's how you did it. Never mind Thomas Cook and Allah goed. Um, or Rennie's travel. Okay. So, all of those things, so there you get. You get identity cards and you get passports and you get the regulation of citizens and the identification of citizens by government. So you get this kind of surveillance thing that comes in during the First World War. It's good. We can now keep tabs on the population. And then if you think of the, you know, the global order of the world, I mean, the, the, the second uh, colonial, I mean, in a sense, afterwards you get this recolonization of parts of Africa and the British, and it dates as eight geskop. Yeah? So the British Empire expands, and so the scramble for Africa, which starts in the 1880s, is kind of klaar now by 1918, and that sets, that sets the stage. And um, I mean, there's a, there's a famous New Zealand um, historian um, called Trevor Wilson, who um, my publishers will enjoy this, um, who said, um, who said to me, the thing about being an historian, you must never write about the present or the future. It's the gefaarlik. Okay. You know, yeah. And, and I said, why? He said, well, he wrote this massive book about the First World War in about 1975. I'm showing my age here now. Um, and he said, he, he thought, die ding is so slecht, is so ugh. And he was trying to find a enig iets klein iets wat positief is uit die eerste wereldoorlog. Nie net die kamerbeertjies en trenchcoats en so. En hy het gesê, ja, Yugoslavia. <laughs> Yugoslavia is the positive creation which comes out of the First World War. And as his editor was um, 
saying, lekker, the book is now being printed, yeah, Bosnia and Eitgebreek and so, yeah. <laughs> As a historian, is it, are you, were you surprised or are you surprised um, that it took 20 years for the Second World War? No, because, because the, the, the First World War, um, it's very interesting actually, I mean, Boerte and Smuts, three, there are three important figures, okay? There's uh, John Maynard Keynes, um, the famous English economist, who said of the peace treaty, Strafno didetze, okay? The Germans have all the blame for the war and they must pay. And he says it's a groot vote. Because what that does is that's going to lay the ground for the Germans to be um, alienated and angry and he doesn't predict Hitler, but he says, this, you know, does muilekeit wat kom. And, and he reflect Boerte and Smuts and the Versailles Peace Treaty. Smuts writes about this constantly. His heart is sore about what is happening to the Germans. And have countries not learned? I mean, have, have they not taken lessons from our Anglo-Bure Urloch? where the British and the Boer leaders came together and what did the British do? The British didn't, in terms of international law, um, force the Boer republics to pay for the war because they let the technically. So technically, if you start a war, you pay for it under sort of international law. So the British had kind of been, you know, clement, they exercised clemency and there was kind of, and they committed themselves to Nazi bow and so on their own terms, of course, but still. Uh, and then 1918, the Germans are clap constantly. And Boerte and Smuts say, you know, Smuts writes about how heavy hearted it is and, and he's, he predicts that this is, a, this is a big mess and uh, Europe is left in a mess, and he writes very movingly about, you know, Europe is dark indeed, and, um, and there's that moment where he takes um, the veterans of the Mountain Club of South Africa to McClare's Beacon and gives us kind of gesprekkie about the future, and he says the future of Europe is a European South Africa. Europe is opgemors. And the only future for Europe is here in South Africa for a great white European Africa to stretch up and um, finish what had started in the war. You know, the first thing was said west and us Africa But we will carry on and civilize um, the rest of Africa the way today Standard Bank and Whitey Besson and, um, <laughs> and um, yes, our, our, our captains of industry are helping to civilize the rest of Africa, financially anyway. <laughs> Nog iets van mij wat jij prachtig beschrijft in hierdie boek uh, van jou oor uh, Wereldoorlog 1, is dat dinge het in Zuid-Afrika gebeur wat nogal redelijk parallel is. En ek denk, voor mij was het ongelooflijk vars om te zien dinge wat in Zuid-Afrika gebeur, maar dan ook internationaal. Het jij precies diezelfde type van ooreenkomste? Dat is recht, ja. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's very important. I mean, we live in this country and we're all obsessed with kind of, you know, South African exceptionalism, or what's distinctive and what's different about South Africa. There are things that are, but it's work by a dinge wat ons samo met 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 baie ander lande. And and you see this, you see this during the war and after the war. It's very similar. I mean, you know, 
Afrikaner rebels are not unlike Irish rebels, mm. are not unlike Algerian rebels and Tunisian rebels, gaat voor met die Franse during the war when they conscript them. And so South Africans share a lot with other parts of... Ja, jij is recht. Als je als um, historicus gaan terugkijken in dag naar die tijd van ons nou, in, in die toekomst voor en toe, en dit is nou niet deel van hierdie gesprek nie, maar net wat interessant is al, <laughs> dan is hierdie, the whole trend is still happening, from what we have here in South Africa is also happening everywhere else in the world. Oh, you mean now? Ja. Yeah. Ja. Yeah. Kom ons vraag, is daar enig iemand van u wat nog een vraag wil vraag? Hier is een baie, baie belangrike kwestie vir ons oor die wereldoorlog en eerste ene, vooral omdat ek redelijk ongelig was. Ek denk mens neig meer na die tweede wereldoorlog toe, mens vergeet van wat werkelijk die situasie was in Zuid-Afrika. Enige vraag van u kant af wat u vir prof wil vraag, asjeblief. Ja, dame. Ja, dat is een interessante vraag. Ik denk het is meer als een gevolg als een reden. Ja, I mean, what happened is bij interessant. Because die diamant is niet een groot ding in die propaganda en zo. Ja, nou, en 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 is Oppenheimer wat doppo. Dus die ding is her, is is Ernest Oppenheimer. Because einde van 1915. Zuid West is nou in die sak en daar is a fire sale of a war sale of Duitse assets in Zuid West en wie is die eerste man daar? Harry O Ernest O Ernest O, Ernest O, die O nie die Harry O, die O en of course it's by a good group you know, it's bargain basement cheaper than pep or checkers so, ja dis reg, en daar is a groot ding met die spoorweer en welfersbaai, en investment, en trade, en ja, dis recht. En ook, die migratie van arme blankes van die Noordkap, oor die grens gestuur om nieuwe kolonis te wees, en so, lekker vraag, dankie. Enig iemand anders? I think we did a good job this morning. Prof, the other thing I want to ask you is that as a historian, when you look at First World War and our participation in that and what becoming the 20 years later for the Second World War, I personally, and this is purely personal and what do I know, is that daar was nie vir my rechtige groeiproces in ons sige om ons anders te laat dink vir die Tweede Wereldoorlog nie. Dit is amper vir my, asof daar een gedeelte van Zuid-Afrika maar eenvoudig met daar die element gegaan het en ons het net ingetrap in die Tweede Wereldoorlog. En as er steeds daar hele confusie, daar was rechtig vir my baie confusie tydens in Zuid-Afrika, tydens die Eerste en die Tweede Wereldoorlog. Ek dink nie ons het verder. Ja, dat is recht. I mean, die confusie en so is erg in die Tweede Wereldoorlog. En die ding aan die Tweede is waar ek kan sê, you know, daar was een partij mense, is een groot avontuur en groot toerisme of so in die Eerste Wereldoorlog. Kom, ons gaan weg. Ons dink nie, ons gaan doodfrik wees. Maar lekker, ne? 
in die wereld, in wat sê mense in 1914, ach, het is een kort oorlog. Ons terug kerstfeest of Hoeveel soldaten, 20.000 of zo, wat ze zich kosten, 400.000 rand, ja. En drie en een half jaar later is het, you know, whatever, 400, 450.000 soldaten, miljoenen pond en zo. En die eerste wereldoorlog is diezelfde ding. In 1914. Vinnig, vinnig, klaarmaken en huis toe. En so, hier kom die tweede wereldoorlog, en daar is partij mense wat, wat gaan, en daar is mense wat, wat hou van oorlog. Dis, dis, you know, dis, dis, dis a ding. Men, ja, daar is mense wat van oorlog hou. Um, and so you get this flock to the colors, but a lot of people are, are I mean, it's very difficult in, in the Second World War to get the kind of, whatever you call, you know, war enthusiasm, or oorlog atmosphere, or enthusiasm for oorlog. En die tweede wereldoorlog, wat jij gezien, een bikkie. Ik bedoel niet zo, ja, een bikkie in, in die eerste wereldoorlog. Ik denk, um, wat ik ook wil oorbrengen, is dat um, wat ik voel hier in die boek te gewerkt was dat die, die, die verschillende um, uh, machten wat ondersteunen is gedurende de eerste wereldoorlog in Zuid-Afrika, niks het veranderen in die tweede wereldoorlog niet. Het voelt voor mij um, waar ik in, in nou staan in 2015 dat nog steeds het niks verander in Zuid-Afrika. We, we are really quite a divided country, if I can put it like that. En in het baie, baie duidelijk door ons geschiedenis. Is this also happening in other countries as a historian? Would you also say that? Or do you think they're more united than what we are here in South Africa? Ja. Ja, zie. Ja, Partij van hulle is, is meer, you know, united or... Well, the process was a little bit easier And the process was a little easier, but I mean, it's, it's baie, you know, it's belangrijk. Vat nou Ierland, vat Ierland, net een ander plek. Is moeilijk in Ierland. Jy is katholiek, jy is protestant, en is een groot ding in die Eerste Wereldoorlog, vir die Ierse. Vech vir die Britte, ach nee, jy moet vir vrijheid vreg. Voor Ierland. En um, denk aan die um, Tweede Wereldoorlog. There's the Irish Republican Army. The IRA is, is, um, is functioning. And Ireland is very divided in a second. I mean, if you... Um, ons, ons ken vir, wie is hy ou? Roby Leibranti, ne? Mm -hmm. Who's landed at Lambert's Bay of Port Nolith or something. That crazy scheme to, you know, assist the Osawa Brandfach to... I don't know, Klimpert or something, and overthrow the government. Um, but it's yourself to dung met Irsa. There's, there's Sean, what's his name, who's landed by boat um, in um, off Ireland, off, off a German ship, in order to you know, opstork and so on. So the, so the Irish are very kind of divided, and the Irish are very strongly German in the Second World War. You know, Oswald Brandfach here sympathies with the Germans. And it's complicated in Canada. 
Canada's Quebecois, that's France, you know. South Africa is divided. Might as well unapplicable, un but, but upscaling here, yeah. There are South Africans who've never participated in any war. Mm. I mean, they just decided from the beginning, first, oh, second, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know. And, and was, as, you know, when you replace it, makkelijk. It was easier for us, yes. Yeah. yeah. Sit, sit, arms vou en wach, of kijk. I mean, I end the book with what's that woman, Cherubin Dovey, that writer who's now in Australia. Mm -hmm. And she had this nice sticky in the Joburg Times about, um, she was trying to write about the First World War in a family, our family in the Eerste Wereldoorlog. So she began navorsing and crap dier die papiere en die briewe en die journale, so, of een man te vind in die familie, wat in die Eerste Wereldoorlog geveg het. Of iets gedoen vir die oorlog. En wat het sy gevind? Niks. Nie een mens in haar familie, nie een vrou, wat een verplichte, verplichte gewerd doen. Niks, niks. En sy sê, ja, wat het sy, wat het sy, wat was die betekenis van al die, van hierdie navorsing, en die betekenis vir die navorsing was vir mens, en dit was een Engelse, een wit Engelse, patriotiese, pro-empire familie. En die betekenis vir die Eerste Wereldoorlog was niks. Is nie onse eerlo... Is ver af. Het is ver af. Dat is niet gevaar voor ons hier niet. Niet redelijk gevaar. Dat is propaganda en zo. So, maar dat is niet redelijk gevaar. Wat, I mean, ons woon niet in Kent of <laughs> Sussex. Wacht voor die Duitse wat oor die English Channel kom. Ons woon hier in Kaapstad. Dat is niet onze oorlog we were a part of but also not and also what other countries have learned internationally through the wars and um, us as outsiders that we've still got to maybe it's so difficult to to really perceive the situation of south africans during the first and second because yeah, and as work and account as you know great patriots and and means of what yeah ons weer yeah means here plek take 1914, um, there are South Africans who are working in London. Hmm? Q, they botanists at Kew Gardens or whatever. And he come in Oerloch. And Boerte and Smuts is now in Oerloch. And they sit in London. And they cake. And what is it? It's not a place that is very enthusiastic for Oerloch. So they come in Heistuni. They join the British Army or the British Navy in Britain. And smuts and waters by a fist that were. So they say, yeah, it's a problem. But they don't say the Afrikaners that. And they have to come to us. And for us, they say the Afrikaners. So they're kind of losing their identity. So I've got something about it in the book, but I think it's an interesting kind of issue, you know. Wereld word... Dame, go, go, asjeblieft. Thank you. Morgen. Oh ja, Ypres, Pashendal, ja. Dus baie aangrijpend om daar weer duizende witkruisies in gaan stelen te zien. 
En daar heb ik eigenlijk uh, als op de eerste keer gezien dat Zuid-Afrika daar deel genomen Want als rijen en rijen grafjes waarop niks staan, hier lies de South African Lowen of the mm. Ja, het is recht. En het is niet eens wieder te verwaarderen, maar het komt om mm. te identificeren als een Zuid-Afrika. Donker, hè? Met zwart kruisen. So. Yeah. Ja. 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 Nou, jij is recht, jij is heel te mooi recht, ja. Ja, ja. Ja, die Zuid-Afrikaans, die Zuid-Afrikaners in België, het het baie geniet. En die Vlaam met Vlaams. Kos in Antwerp, as hulle in Rot, in Vlaam, in Antwerp en so, kan die Korante lees, met die mense praat. En... En wat sê Partij van die Belgers, hoekom is jylle nie swart nie? Kos jylle kom van Afrika af. Jylle is die, ja, jylle is die verkeerde kleer. Enige ander vraag, dames en heren? Daar is nog een, gau gau, asjeblief, dankie. Ja, dat is vir ons in het moor, wat de plekzouders en vorders. Ja. De Mendy, ja, I mean, well, I think... This is embarrassing because I'm sitting in the company of the real authority on uh, black experience in the First World War, my colleague Albert Grinling, who I see is hiding in the corner. Um, um, yes, I mean, I think, uh, you, I mean, you might have a sense of, I mean, obviously in the Cape you have the, uh, the Cape Corps um, who serve as armed uh, troops. I mean, they are armed. Um, Africans are restricted to sort of non-combatant roles. Um, the government has the same problem with mobilizing uh, black South Africans that they have with white South Africans. They can never, they can never mobilize enough. So they're always short of, you know, these demands come from the, um, or these requests come from the Imperial War Cabinet. Can you supply X number? And they can only supply, you know, whatever. But they can never supply the, the quotas. And then, of course, the, and of course, the great symbolic thing with the Mendy, you know, the Mendy is sunk um, in an accident. I mean, the, you know, two ships collide in the English Channel in February 1917, and the Mendy sinks, and over 600 uh, African non-combatant laborers um, lose their lives. And it's, there's a, it's quite a poignant moment, because what happens is that Louis Buerta uh, leads um, a moment of silence in the South African parliament when that happens. And that's not, that's quite often left out of the historical record. It's a, you know, it's the first time, possibly the only time, uh, when a white parliament in South Africa observes and recognizes uh, recognize the uh, black death on, on that scale. Um, and I, but I mean, we're living in a period now where I suspect by the time we get to 2017, a great deal will be made of, 
of the Mendy, because I think we're living in a, you know, a new nationalist period, and so you will, you'll get a rediscovery, I think, of, of, of black experience and black participation in the war. Uh, the other thing to say is, of course, um, like white troops, um, you know, the Cape Corps uh, went to parts of, of the world in which South Africa never had any sort of contact. So the Cape Corps goes to East Africa and the Cape Corps goes to Palestine and uh, is involved in, um, in the campaigns there. And, of course, has also left, you know, a separate set of memories um, around, around that First World War experience. Thank you. Paul and Johan, bye bye, danke. It was really interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being here. Bye, danke dat jullie hier was. Ons gaan nou vir Bill aanstuur naar die boekwinkel toe, waar sy boek, waar sy boek te koop is, en waar hy sekerlik vir julle sal boeken teken, as julle die boek koop. Bye, bye danke. Bye, danke. Bye, danke.